I'm Jessica Dorr, and you're listening to The Offering for March 2023. When I read or listen to old stories, I watch for strange moments. Through this practice, I've learned that a strange moment is an opening that makes way for wonder. It can have the energetic of a rupture if you're open to it. As someone with an often ambivalent relationship to change and who is many times protective of the neat meanings in the stories I like to tell, finding strange moments has been a way for me to practice flexibility and tolerance for new details that don't fit the script. I've been joking lately that whenever I hear myself say words like, the fact of the matter is, that's a clear indication that my aperture has gotten too narrow and it's time to seek what's past the periphery. I haven't had much time for reading old stories this year, so when I had a quiet morning this past weekend, it was an opening and I threw myself in. I read a story called The Princess with the Cat Face, which is the seventh of 12 tales in Carlo Mula's collection, Sardinian Folk Tales. The Princess with the Cat Face is, in some ways, a Sardinian version of the Grimm's Rapunzel. One of those ways is that it starts out with what turns out to be a raw deal between an antagonist and a woman over a piece of food the woman wants, which is, in this case, a mushroom. The antagonist is an orc, which is, in my understanding, like an ogre or a giant. The orc agrees to give the woman who is pregnant the mushroom she wants if she promises to give him her child when the child is four. The woman, quote, whose desire for the mushroom was stronger than anything else, agreed, end quote. No strange moments here, really, just another fairy tale image of woman as irrational and impulse-driven. As promised, at the age of four, the girl is given over to the orc and moves into a beautiful palace. The orc loves the girl, whose name is Maria, and is also jealous of her, which is also nothing especially unique. For these reasons, he keeps her locked away, high up in a tower. She grows long golden hair, which the orc uses to climb in and out of the tower. One day, a man comes by the window. When Maria sees him, she falls in love immediately. Now here's where things get weird. One day Maria is digging around and she finds three balls of wool. She asks the orc, what are these for? And the orc tells her, straight up, the balls have powers. The orc says, quote, they help you when you are being chased and prevent those who are chasing you to catch you. When you throw the first one, it will turn into a sea of water, the second into a sea of fire, and the third into a sea of thorns, end quote. I've seen this motif before and have written about it. In fact, I think I read about it as motif before I ever encountered it in a story firsthand. In her book, The Interpretation of Fairy Tales, Jungian analyst Marie-Louise von Franz has written about how, when fleeing from an enemy, discarded objects sometimes turn out to be aids, turning to bodies of water, flaming forests, and the like. She writes, quote, there are situations where one absolutely has to give up wanting anything, and in this way one slips out from under. One is not there any longer, so nothing more can go wrong. When one is confronted by a hopelessly wrong situation, one must make a drastic leap to the bottom of open-minded simplicity, and from there one can live through it. You might be wondering what's more bizarre about this moment than any of the others thus far. To me, it's the way this orc, the same orc who has held Maria captive for most of her life, is now giving her explicit instructions about how to escape. 
Maybe the orc knows a thing or two about learned helplessness or read an article about Stockholm Syndrome and figured he'd no need to worry. We can't be sure because those details are unstoried. All we know is that Maria took the wool balls and ran away with the man from the window who she loved. And as soon as the orc realizes she's gone, he gives chase. As she sees him coming, Maria throws the first ball and a sea of water forms between her and the orc. The orc, who has a huge mouth, opens wide and gulps it all down in an instant. Maria throws the second ball, this one which turns into a sea of fire. The orc, having a belly full of water already, simply spits and the fire goes out. Finally, she throws the last wool ball and a sea of thorns crop up around the orc, trapping him inside. When the orc begs her to look at him one last time, now himself in captivity, Maria does, and the orc turns her human face to a cat's. There's more to this story, which is maybe as close to a true and enduring statement as I've ever been, but I'm going to leave the rest out for now. I love von Franz's ideas about letting go of precious things in bad situations as a way to ensure that nothing more can go wrong. Maria certainly could have held on to the magic balls for another day as a way to ensure some future success. And while it may not have been necessary for her to discard them in order to achieve greater agility or speed, in letting go of something immensely valuable which she understood as fundamental to her survival, she put herself someplace simple, essential, and vulnerable. In von Franz's words regarding this motif of discarding objects while being chased, when one is confronted by a hopelessly wrong situation, one must make a drastic leap to the bottom of open-minded simplicity, and from there, one can live through it. I struggle more than ever with these kinds of absolute statements. I don't want to name life this way. If you do this, you can go there and such and such will be waiting. I don't really believe reality works that way. And I don't want to pretend that I do just because it's comforting to a reader or a person is looking to me for something sure. At the same time, there are plenty of moments when I'm also seeking comfort and something sure. I'm no less drawn to stories and statements that might allow me to rest a little. Sometimes I just want to be told how it is so that I might be relieved of the perpetual and exhausting task of making meaning. Narrative therapist Jill Friedman has described a kind of double listening that seeks both to understand a problem being articulated and also any details that don't align with the story about the problem. In a way, I feel like this is kind of what I do when I read stories. I look for anomalies, the bad actor who helps in a time of need, the wizard who rushes in with a sensitizing balsam vial despite being the one who laid the numbing curse in the first place, the orc who holds a girl captive her entire life only to tell her exactly what to do to escape. And if you think it's because he had a change of heart, you have to think again when you see him fighting tooth and nail against her escape and his last spiteful act of turning her human face to a feline's. I think I've always been interested in these kinds of moments when I work with folktales and legends. In narrative work, there's a name for them, unique outcomes. These are moments that don't line up with the story being told. They are openings inside of which lay whole neglected and overlooked worlds, parts of experience that have been marginalized or unstoried. I imagine the orc in therapy describing this problem of possessiveness and jealousy. Most of what he says, thinks, feels, and does seems to line up with the story. 
That is, until he mentions this conversation he's had with the captive Maria about the magic wool balls, the one where he tells her everything she needs to know to be free. Why does he do this? Is it a mistake, or in Freudian terms, parapraxis, an error which reveals the precise location where desire meets limitation? Narrative therapy, from what I can tell, would not put much stock in the idea of this behavior as representing some sort of Freudian slip, but I do think it would take seriously the potential to develop a moment like this in a way that shines light on parts of the story where the orc is actually quite ambivalent about the possessiveness, where he slips out from under its thumb sometimes, where he challenges its dominion over him. What if there's a whole set of stories about this orc, ones no one's bothered to ask about, in which he is securely attached with a curious and supportive spirit? This is an interesting thing about fairy tales. They are at times simplistic to a fault, but almost always peppered with bizarre moments, details that subvert the dominant narrative like when the bad guy does a good thing. Our lives are not fairy tales, but in this way, they are similar. We live inside incredibly compelling and dominant stories, which we want to believe are simple and linear with a beginning, middle, and end, but none of us are free from those sparkling moments, those ruptures where the mask of a neat narrative slips momentarily, exposing a much more complicated reality. Those moments can be really terrifying, but they can also be life-giving, a chance to see how we aren't only what we thought ourselves to be, which can be liberating. I'm enjoying the imaginative experience of sitting across from the orc and flying through this opening together. What was going on for you then when you instructed Maria, who the possessiveness had made into an object, about how to get free? How does it feel to imagine that now? Is there anyone in your life who would vouch for the fact that this version of you as a waymaker for freedom and a shining example of allowing is real? Can you remember a time when you moved in this way? What were you doing? Who were you with? What was the light like? Tell me everything about those times. listening to the free monthly offering for March 2023. I make these offerings weekly in both text and audio format for those interested in contributing as little as $5 a month or $50 a year. If you're interested in upgrading your subscription, you can do so by hitting the subscribe button in the body of this post. Paying subscribers get access to the archive of weekly offerings, which go back to July 2021, with weekly audio versions starting in October 2021. As always, hitting the like button and sharing this post are great ways to support as well. This recording was engineered by Lee Clark, and the music is by Lee Clark. The intro is called Evaporate, featuring Kingsley Ibaniche. You can listen to Evaporate in full and more of Lee's work wherever you stream music or at the links in this post. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>